Hey, I am so overjoyed uh, to be here and the week we've had and just the direction of our church, and I am just so, so excited. I am honestly full. I was thinking to myself if I should even possibly say this, like, eh, I won't say it, but I just, I have some, I've been affected by yesterday, how about that? And uh, today I still feel it, and I'm just so full, and what a privilege, and Mercy Church, I love you so much. I love pastoring this church, and thank you for all your prayers, and uh, God's doing a wonderful work in my heart, and I just, I cannot tell you the joy I have coming here, seeing you, seeing our connect groups, discipleship groups, just our church taking that next step, and next step, and next step, because our vision for the church is to see people saved and save people grow. That's it. All we want to do, you ever have people like, what is Mercy Church about? Well, they do talk about this often. They say, we want to see people saved and save people grow. And that's all you need to know. All you need to know. Hey, we are in a series. Uh, and if you want, uh, you can just open your Bibles if you have them with you. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. But we're in a series called uh, Spiritual Disciplines. We're talking about seven radical Christian habits that every single Christian needs if they are to grow, if they are to grow to become more like Christ. This is our norm. Ever, have you ever been amazed like, oh man, so-and-so is such an amazing Christian. They pray, they read their word, they, share to, they seek to share the gospel, they're serving, they're giving and we're amazed by that, that's just normal. That's just normal. That's what normal Christians do. And we're learning about these seven habits as we become more and more like Christ. Every, every Christian needing these seven habits. Uh, I'm going to put a graphic, a picture with, uh, for you. And this is usually the picture we live with. And it's the picture goes like this. Your heart produces action. Your heart is the desiring organ of your body. Your heart is the thing that wants. Your heart is the thing that desires. It's the thinking process. It's the values. And whatever is in your heart, you produce. And of course, that is absolutely true. But the picture I want us to live with is a little bit more nuanced. And I want to show you another picture of what is actually also true, is that our heart produces our action, but our actions in return shape who we are. Our heart produces what we do, but what we do ultimately decides and shapes what you want, what you desire, <laughs> what you consider is worth sacrificing. And here's the big, big, big thesis we're putting out there. Big goal. What happens when Mercy Church decides to get serious about these seven habits as a action steps, as things we do, prayer, Bible reading, evangelism, serving, giving, submission, simplicity, and how will that shape our heart? Well, I'll tell you the truth. God will use that to make in you a heart that looks more and more like Christ, and that's the goal. 
So last week, we talked about prayer. I don't remember, I don't know if you were here as a refresher. I won't be doing a lot of refreshers because then on topic seven, <laughs> my refreshment will be the whole sermon. But right now, I can do that, okay? I can do that. And uh, the, uh, last week, we talked about different types of prayer, uh, different, like there's uh, thanksgiving, there's praise, there's petition, there's intercession, there's consecration, there is, uh, I've can't mention, forget, I forget about them, but those are the prayers that we all can pray. And today, we're diving into the second discipline that is absolutely normal for every Christian, and that is Bible reading, getting into the Word. As a basic, real norm of your life, as a habit in your life, a frequent intake of the word of God. So open with me to Mark chapter 4. And before we begin this discussion on Bible reading, we're going to read a passage, and I think this is so crucial that we stop here before we talk about just read your Bible, okay? Just read your Bible, that we stop and consider something very, very important. Reading the Bible is absolutely the thing we want to do but I also want to talk about the type of soil your heart is when you read the Bible. Because the type of soil of your heart determines what happens and the effectiveness of God's word in your life. And Jesus tells us a parable of four soils in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was large, so that he got into the boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, and 100 times. And then in verse 13, we have something really, really amazing happening. Jesus explains the parable. And he says this, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word, some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, 
hear the word, but the worries of this life, this deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we dive into this word, we know that the hearts are not our territory to influence. It's your domain. So Holy Spirit, would you work today through this word? Would you inspire your people to hunger and to feast on your word as a daily discipline or a frequent discipline of our lives? God, we ask these things, big things of a bigger God, and we trust it and we are confident in your work in on, our, on behalf of our church. Amen. What is the seed? The seed is, in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. The seed is the word. I want to take a moment because I always want to use my, this opportunity to teach. But this is it. This is the word. Now, what is this book? Have you ever thought about it? I've no, I know we've heard some mockery of this book, but what is this book? Like, just historical facts about this book. I want to take, take you real quick through my favorite facts about this book. Number one, it was written over 1,500 years. Now, just think about that. 1,500 years ago was A.D. 500. Like, that seems like a whole different world. A whole lot of humanity in history is here. Uh, this book has 66 books, but about 40 authors, and 40 of these authors come from all walks of life, from kings to shepherds to philosophers to prophets and so forth, to poets, to fishermen. This book was written in three main languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and Um, we got this canon, these 66 books, about 4th century. About 2nd century, there was already uh, a lot of the Christian communities accepted most of these letters and most of these books as, as basically the measure of God's word. And around 4th century, we really come down with the Bible now, I want you to know that they didn't create, like just choose a bunch of letters and a bunch of books and like, okay, we're going to put this one in there, we're going to put this one in there. It was more like a reflection of what the Christian community had accepted all along. And by the way, in all of this process of assembling this book called the Bible, the Holy Spirit was absolutely involved so that you can be confident in it. This book, how it was written, was rarely written by diction. It was, that means it's, the, it's God's word, but it doesn't mean that God actually like spoke audibly to the author and the author wrote it down. It did happen in some places, but oftentimes these are human authors looking through their lenses with their questions, their concerns, their needs, but in the process of their writing, the Holy Spirit was inspiring their words so that we can honestly say this is the word of God. And yet, the Bible, 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 authors, 
has one theme. Do you know what the point of this book is? I don't know if you ever heard what by, there's a funny saying, and I absolutely disagree with it. It says, what Bible stands for is basic instruction before leaving earth. You ever heard of that? How miserable. Like, I have so many things to follow. You mean this is another instruction manual? I can't stand Ikea manuals. You give me another one? No. It's not basic instruction before leaving earth. It's God who loves you so deeply, who comes after you through Jesus. The message is about Jesus. And let me just real quick walk you through the lane of all the Bible. So it begins, and I'm going to show you how the whole Bible has one theme, Jesus. And this is so important for you to know. The first five books of the Bible is called the Torah. It lays the foundation for Christ. Then we have the historical books. It's about kings and wars and promised land. Well, what that does is it provides the anticipation of a true king. Then you have the wisdom literature, Lamentations, Proverbs, Songs of Solomon, uh, Psalms. And that glorifies Christ. It aspires to Christ. Then you have the prophetic books, Jeremiah, Micah. And these books lay down the expectation that Jesus is coming. We get to the Gospels in the New Testament, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what they do is it's the manifestation of Jesus, the King. He's come. Then you have Acts. And Acts is the propagation, the spread of the message of Jesus. Then you have the epistles. It is the interpretation of what Jesus has done and what that means for us. And finally, you end with revelation. It is the consummation. It is the proclamation that Jesus has come and conquered all. The Bible has one unified theme. This word is sufficient for every spiritual need you have. This word is clear. You can obtain a meaning in this Bible. Now, it doesn't mean like you're reading like, Eugene, I don't understand what this says. And you're like, that's not clear. What it means is if you do some research and maybe you you know, research and you get into Bible study and you pray and you really do some research, there's a clear meaning in it. It is authoritative. That means when I have my opinions and this book has its views, this book wins, I lose. I come under its authority. And last, it is necessary. It is necessary for us to read this so we can grow and understand who God is. Amen? So that's just a short version of this book. And there's so much more to it. Now, Jesus says, this word is sown. What kind of, I want to talk to you about four soils of our hearts that you and I can come to the Bible with. The first soil is the soil that was sown along the path. What happens then is that the birds come and they quickly eat that word up. They take it away. Jesus calls out Satan. And he says that Satan will come and steal the word. 
I want you to remember something so profound is Satan is always active when there's spiritual work being done. Always. Especially when you're praying. Especially when you're reading the word. And he would love for you to be numb to it. Sometimes we make too much of Satan. You know, Satan gets all this credit. He's probably like, man, awesome. I didn't do that. It was you, but okay. And sometimes we make too little of Satan. The devil, Satan, doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off of. Too much or too little. But we must recognize as a church the reality of darkness and evil and Satan. And he would love to stop God's word from coming and remaining and abiding in you. In fact, real quick, I want to point this out to you, and this is something that appeared to me this morning as I was brushing my teeth, by the way. It just like hit me. There are three enemies that all of us have, that God has, that wage war against godliness, Satan, the world, and our flesh. And we see here that the first three soils have all of these enemies. Satan comes to steal. The second soil um, is the soil among uh, so rocky places. That's the world that comes with persecution. And the last one is a seed that was sown among thorny places. And it says that the desires of the wealth and deceitfulness, that's our flesh. So just know that. So real quick about this type of soil, the soil that fell along the path. Here's how you know you're here. Here's how you know you're the kind of soil where the seed just falls and Satan is able to steal it. It's those of us who read the Bible for no other reason than because we have to. And when we do, we are more satisfied. We are not satisfied with the word of God. We are satisfied with the fact that we read it. We are satisfied not with the word of God. We're satisfied with the simple fact that I read it. I feel like a good Christian. I've got my ducks in a row. I read the Bible. I can move on. This is, a, this is for people who are numb to the word of God. Now, the second soil is the soil that fell among the rocky places. And the, Jesus says that they receive it with joy. You got joy and you're excited. Okay, this is when you read the Bible and you're like, boy, this is amazing. And you highlight it and you journal about it and you maybe take a picture of it and maybe you send it to someone and you, of course, have to post on social media this verse. You receive it with joy. But then it doesn't have roots. And so it quickly withers away. What this is meaning, and Jesus talks about the reason, he's talking about persecution and troubles that come when we read the word of God. Hmm. What Jesus is getting there, telling us there, is that when we read the word of God, there is a cost to it. There will be a price 
we pay. Now, what's interesting, think about this. You read the word of God. You receive it with joy. You start acting upon it. And then persecution comes. What? Now, think about what that means. That means that our faith must not be invisible. That our faith is going to be external. It's going to be visible to others. It's going to shape our thoughts. It's going to shape our language. It's going to shape the way we behave. It's going to shape everything we do so that we, you and I, will be different. We will stand out from our coworkers. We will stand out from our classmates. We will stand out from our neighbors. We become different. It's a beautiful different. It's a people of God kind of different. It's Jesus kind of different. But when that happens, all of a sudden, there are people who don't like you. This happens more and more today. There's all of a sudden people who mock you and jeer you and overlook you for promotion and maybe avoid you. Uh, Somebody has quoted that we don't live and we don't experience real persecution in America, but a lot of Christians have started to talk about something called soft persecution. It's those slights, it's those passive aggressive maneuvers people make because you are a follower of Jesus and you're seeking to live out his word. But what happens is this kind of soil receives the word in joy but then says, boy, I I don't like it. I don't like where it's leading me. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to take a stand on a principle. I don't want to love like the way that, you know, would draw attention. I don't want to do that. There's a cost to it. And sometimes the cost is for our personal lives. Where the cost is we have to be patient. We have to let go of bitterness. We have to let go of just fairness for us. The cost is that we have to love our enemies. The cost is that we give up some things in our lives like we talked about yesterday. We don't want to do the cost. Basically, it's a compromise. As I read the word, I love it, Eugene. Like, I truly love it, but I have a hard time implementing it for the cost that it brings me. I want to show you an example. Proverbs 29.11. I found a gem in the Bible. Listen, when I read this verse, I was so excited. I shared with a whole bunch of people. It says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And I was like, that's it. I love this passage. I promise you I received it with joy until it had started to cost me. Because in a situation of a heated situation, boy, I would have loved to just let it out. And I I honestly probably think I, I failed this verse. That's a prime example of when we read the word, we receive it with joy, but then for the reason that it costs me something, I don't, don't apply it. The third soil is the soil of thorny places. So Jesus says that there's some seed that was sown in thorny places and the thorns and the bushes choked 
the good seed. And he talks about what that is. It worries, three things, worries, wealth, and desires for other things. <laughs> I wanted to call this the American soil. Because <laughs> nothing maybe explains us in our time where we are at than this. It's a bunch of worries. It's affluence. And it's desire of material stuff and other things. And Jesus says, and this is so important, that these things choke, choke the word of God. What does that mean, choke the word of God? Now, we know what choking means, right? We haven't tried it, but choking means uh, like stopping somebody's breathing. It's, you know, suffocating somebody. It's to cut off the supply of a resource like oxygen. Now think about this. When a seed goes into, these, into this environment or this little place of thorns and bushes, what then happens is the thorns and the bushes steal the resources. They steal the resources that it doesn't grow. Let me give you how each of these factors, worry, wealth, and desire of other things, steal crucial resources from our hearts and heads and lives where we don't see the word of God grow. Number one, worry. Here's what worry does. It steals a resource called focus and attention. Have you noticed how when you're worried, that's the thing you think about? Listen, many times, Albina and I have been driving somewhere, and we're like, did we close the garage? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. And then we're too far out to go back. So then I'm just, what's the word? Worried. And guess what? Doesn't matter what I do, I can be in the presence of God, and all I'm doing is thinking about my garage. And thinking about, did I close that garage? That's what worry does. That's what worry does. It steals our focus. It steals our attention. It takes, it consumes us. And Jesus says it's such a big enemy of God's word is worry. I have bills. I have a serious diagnosis. I have a child that's sick. I can't get a job. I can't figure out a, a problem in my life. I can't focus on God's word. This is people who are thinking, I don't have time for God's word. I, don't, I can't do God's word right now. Really? Like, I need to think about God's word? I have real problems to solve. I have worries in my life. I want you to also know, consider, that the word of God is the best medicine for your worry. And what worry often does is it keeps us from the word, which keeps us from the very thing that can bring peace to our hearts. Because the word is there to remind you of the sovereignty of God. 
The word of God is there to remind you of his sure and unfailing promises. The word of God is there to remind you that God who began his good work in you will bring you to completion. The word of God is there to remind you that he works all things in your life for his good. So fight worry with the word of God and don't let worry stop you from the word of God. As distracting as it may be, fight it. Then Jesus talks about the wealth. Or probably, since most of us have few bucks to our names only, the pursuit of wealth. And this thing can also stop the word of God from you know, coming alive and producing fruit in our lives. And here's the reason, because it steals a resource called faith and trust. What wealth does is it offers an alternative thing to trust for your needs, for your security. This is when you find yourself thinking, do I really need this? Do I really need this? Do I really need the word? I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. I think I can get my security and a good life and a flourishing life on my own if I can just obtain or pursue wealth or achievements or accomplishments or credit to our name, or amazing resume. If I can just do that, I will be secure. So do I really need this? That's what wealth does. Is it help, takes the resource of your faith, your faith, your trust. Instead of putting your faith in the word of God, I'm putting my faith and my trust in something else, and that will kill the word of God in your life. Some of us have been fasting this week. I think most of you given up something. Uh, I had to give up food. And one of the most amazing things that have happened is I have started to see how much I need food. I really need food. I often ask Albina, like, babe, how did that taste? And I ask her to describe stuff. I started to uh, make meals for my children, and I just savor it like every bit. I'm so close. I'm right there. And I realized, boy, that's my body that needs the food. And that's exactly the point maybe of fasting food, is that it shows you that that's exactly how your soul feels, needing the word of God. Boy, do you need it. Some of us have been fasting spiritual food, not seven days, not 40 days, 365 days. And our spiritual person is absolutely malnourished, destroyed, anxious. Got to pick this one up. Got to pick up the spiritual food, amen? The third one, is desires for other things. So Jesus says, thorny places, worries, they steal a resource called your focus, your attention. Uh, wealth steals your res a resource from you that's called faith and trust. And the third one is desires for other things. Steals a resource called your 
hunger. This is where we find ourselves thinking, I love God's word. I even get offended when somebody posts something on social media that mocks the word. I love the word. But I really find this book boring. I really find this book uninteresting. I desire other things. This is where, and I'll be honest with you, I have found myself reading this book and going to New York Times op-ed on my phone while reading this book, going on social media while reading this book, because what we really want is something else than this, our hunger for something else than this. And here's what you need to know. If you find this book not interesting, if you find this book unsatisfying, it's simply because you have no hunger for it. You can't be satisfied with something if you're not hungry for it. Because when you are satisfied with something else and you come to this book, it's only an add-on to the satisfaction you've already received, albeit a false one, a poor one, but you're already satisfied with something else. So what we need to do is we need to keep our hunger for God's word. God's word. The best way to clean up, excuse me, the best way to restore your hunger for God's word is to clean up your diet. The stuff we watch, the stuff we take in, the stuff we listen. Have you noticed how we can watch five hours of Netflix in a row, uninterrupted. I mean, we hate to go to the bathroom. We hate to have to get up and grab some food because we're just, we're watching. But we can't spend 10 minutes reading the word of God. We're hungry for something else. And therefore, we can never be satisfied with the word of God. Satisfaction can only happen if your hunger for the word of God is restored, and I think the best way to restore your hunger is to clean up your diet. I told this example yesterday, so I'll tell you that again. But yesterday, we were talking, and uh, I made this example that sometimes I have come home, you know, four or five o'clock, and Albina's an amazing, gracious wife of mine, and she often makes meals, and I often come full. And I'll come having eaten like Chick-fil-A or something. And when I come home, I'm already full on junk food. So Albina has food for me, 100 times more nutritious, 100 times more delicious, but I'm maxed out. There's nothing I want from her. There's nothing I want her. I don't want her food. The way we restore our hunger is we clean up our diet. We train ourselves to stop desiring those things less and less, to desire God's word more and more. Amen? And then Jesus talks about the good soil. And he says three quick things about this good soil. Number one is they hear it. They hear the word of God. They accept it. Now, accepting to me is at least four quick things. Number one, it's faith. You read the word of God with faith. 
And what we mean by faith is an absolute confidence that God's word is true and is loving. Oftentimes I will, you know, when I sit down to read the Bible, I remind myself, what I'm reading, does it need proof checkers, fact, fact checkers? It's not an opinion. It's the absolute truth of God. And with that confidence, I proceed. And I also know that what I will find here is absolutely God's grace, God's love for me so that I can live to honor him. Second, submission. It's agreement with this book. And I want to say it's absolutely normal. Church, I want to encourage you. It's absolutely normal. If you read something in this word that doesn't make sense to you or that you don't necessarily want to agree with, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And what we simply do is we come in agreement. We say, God, somewhere along the way, I will see it that way. I don't see it right now, but I trust you, and I will agree with your word. The third ingredient is humility. Never, ever read the word of God without depending on the power of God to help you. Help you understand help you walk and execute on it, apply it to your life, that's humility. And fourth is purpose. We read this book for his glory. We read this Bible for his glory. Not to be a good Christian and not to just serve my own needs and blessings. But God, I want to live for your glory. And if you think that that's going to rob you of something good, you are boy mistaken because living for his glory at the same time is living the best kind of life. So they hear it, they accept it with faith and submission and humility and purpose. And then they produce. They produce. This is where we allow the word of God to encounter, confront, intersect with the moments, small moments of our lives. And this is so crucial. The small details of our lives, the small situations where we find ourselves, where we see the match. You know what I mean? Like that's what God said. Oh, that's for this situation. This means that we're going to let the promises of God confront our worries and fears and anxieties. And the fruit will be peace. This means that the passages about the truth of God, we will let that confront our temptations in a heated moment. And what the truth of God tells me is two amazing things. Number one, it lets me see the empty promises of the temptation because every sin, every temptation dangles to us a false reward and it is so crucial that you and I are trained to see the emptiness of that reward. And number two, it reminds me, God, you are better. You are so much better. You are so much more worth it. This means that we allow the wisdom of God to inform our decisions The wisdom of God 
informing our decisions. The fruit of this will be righteousness and peace. This means that the God-glorifying passages, passages in the Bible, the ones that honor God and exalt him, and there's many Psalms, and you can go all over the Bible where just the authors are exalting God, and those passages are so crucial because they help me set my priorities correctly in my life. The fruit of this is worship and a life lived for him. I want you to hear this one. The central message of the Bible, Christ came to die for sinners. And now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do you know what I do with that? That is to destroy guilt and shame. And some of us here today, we're we're burdened with our guilts and our failures and our shames. And I'll tell you, the only thing that can help you is God's word where it reminds you that you in Christ are fully loved and fully accepted and fully forgiven. And there is no condemnation for you. That's God's word in action. That's God's word when we're worshiping. That's God's word when you're driving. That's God's word when you have failed or have some type of failure and sin in your life. There's no condemnation. I'm going to let that destroy my guilt and shame. I'm going to let God's grace confront my propensity to judge and criticize. And the fruit of this will be loving one another. Accepting it, hearing it, accepting it, and producing. Hearing it, accepting it with faith and submission and humility and purpose and laying aside the the, the rocky place issue which is about um, cost and all I'm doing now is I'm gonna produce. I'm gonna produce by God's power. Four soils. It is not good enough to just read the word of God. It's coming to the word of God with the right soil. And God can help you, and God can help me, and God's grace is plentiful, and we can do this, church. We can do this. We can learn to read the Bible well. So we talked about the soil. And to end my message, I want to talk to you about Bible reading. Wherever you are, I want you to this week pick up the word of God. If you are born again Christian, I promise you that the spirit in you is desperate for the word of God. Don't leave yourself malnourished. Create in your life a frequent habit of reading the word of God. Now, our, and listen, I'm so sorry to do this, but we have discipleship groups coming up and I have to advertise it because it's just so appropriate. But our D groups are going through a five-day-a-week Bible reading plan. And so what we do is in packs of three to five people, we read the Bible together, not together, but we read the Bible at the same time, the same plan, and then we come together for one, one and a half hours during the week to just talk about it. 
What it does is it provides amazing accountability. And this week is the last week to sign up. And I have held my, my, uh, uh, my powers, be it, from pushing anyone and encouraging anyone. Because I want that choice to be yours, mercy. I want that choice to be yours. But if you're serious about getting to the word, about being prayed for, mercychurchnw.com. There's a tab called Community. Scroll to the bottom, and there is discipleship groups. Boom, click it. Three things, sign up. I promise you, your life will be radically transformed as you get in the habit of reading the Bible. But if it's not the season for you, I have grace. We, we, we don't shame anyone. Still, start somewhere. Start somewhere reading the Word. And this is what the habits are all about. Start somewhere. Amen? Lastly, I think I already said that. Never believe a preacher when he says, last thing. Usually there's at least four more last things he has to say. I promise you this is going to be the last thing. Where, where we are at today, you know, there's an amazing quote in business leadership development, and it says, the results you have right now excuse me, you have a system, whatever it is right now, that is perfectly designed to achieve the results you have right now. Your current system is perfectly designed to achieve the kind of results you're achieving. In other words, if your heart or your life is spiritually powerless, I want to be honest and I want to be loving, but there are no surprises here. There are no surprises here. There's nothing shocking about that. It's probably because there's some neglect in your life of spiritual disciplines in general and this discipline in particular. There's no surprises. The results, listen, our Christian lives lived for God, which is the best, most amazing way to live this life on this planet and then see the King of glory face-to-face as he is, one of the best ways to live life. And that life will never be greater than where we are at and at the level we are at with our Bible engagement, our prayers. So it is my plea as your pastor to get into the Word this week. Can we do this? Can we do this? Say amen or wink at me. Smile. Do something. All, right, all of you are smiling. You're on the hook. Let me pray with us.